Like everyone else, you know, if you say like, hello, I got into Sundance on Facebook to go mm-hmm. back to Facebook for a second, you're going to get like 500 likes in like yeah. 10 minutes, right? Yeah. And, but that's not really the thing. Like the, the real success was like getting the movie done mm-hmm. or like figuring out a major problem and solving it. It's all kind of like this much more inchoate, like private, inward facing process that's the thing it's like the reason I do what I do but then it looks to other people like the reason is Mm -hmm. the critical response or the reason is like the film forum premiere and it's not and so I think there's this again it's that sense of falseness Hiya, gang. Welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame and whatever else comes up. I'm Jamie Berger, and I am getting over a nasty summer head cold. So I just wanted you to know that. Penny Lane is an award-winning nonfiction filmmaker. Her most recent film, Nuts, which is awesome, premiered at Sundance this year. Her debut full-length documentary, Our Nixon, world premiered at Rotterdam in 2013, had its North American premiere at South by Southwest, and won the Ken Burns Award for Best of the Festival at Ann Arbor. She was also named Most Badass at the Iowa City Documentary Film Festival in 2009. Her 2005 short film, The Abortion Diaries, has become an important organizing and educational tool across the nation. I met Penny when that was just coming out in 2005, here in the Pioneer Valley when I first got here, and she was teaching at Hampshire College. Then she moved to Troy, over to RPI, where I caught up with her a couple times, and then she moved farther away to New York City, and eventually ended up upstate at Colgate University, where she's now a professor in the art department. Nuts is going to be released on iTunes on September 6th, and I'll tell you more about where to find Penny's films after our conversation. We talked in July, about an hour before screening of Nuts at Amherst Cinema, in a lovely loft apartment space I never knew existed right down the street from the theater. You sound pretty good. Yeah, is it okay? Yeah. Hi, Penny. Hello. Okay, we did that. (laughs) Good, we're done. Yeah. The things that are on my little list are, first of all, your year. Mm -hmm. And getting a fair amount of attention. Mm -hmm. And how it feels, some positive, some negative. Because earlier this year I wrote you because I was doing this and you were getting attacked by trolls when you went after the uh, Tribeca Film Festival for putting on the Vaxxer film, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just dive in there? Sure. So what happened there was that I noticed that there was a film list, like there was a film that was mentioned. It wasn't in the official press releases for Mm -hmm. the film festival, Mm -hmm. but I noticed at some point that they were showing this movie called Vaxxed, and I read the synopsis and thought, that sounds like an anti-Vaxxer movie, and then looked it up. 
and realized it was directed by Andrew Wakefield. Mm-hmm. And it was just, like, shocking to me. I just <coughs> couldn't believe it. For background. Andrew Wakefield is the reason that this fucking right. whole thing started. Like, the whole vaccines cause autism joke, uh, which unfortunately is not a joke. Mm. Uh he just made that up, but, you know, he's, like, the reason. And so he's been totally discredited and, like, chased out of England and lost his license. And he's completely beyond a discredited voice. And then to see the Tribeca Film Festival, which, like, to be frank, is not, like, it's not the, it's not considered, like, the most prestigious film festival, but it certainly is an important film festival, yeah. and especially in New York City. Anyway, so I've never even shown movies at that festival. It's not like I had any kind of personal stake in it other than being offended by the idea that this movie would be included and I can't and it's really is surprising in a weird way I don't think I'd ever thought that I would be like protesting the inclusion or in a movie in a film festival yeah. it's like a really weird thing to do anyway so, so yeah, I just, what, what did you do I just wrote a, po- a Facebook post and, it, and I took some time writing it like probably like a f- half a day I spent writing it um because I did want to register my concerns about it. And I didn't think... I mean, I knew that people would share it. Because I had, you know, plenty of Facebook friends and, like, Facebook followers. So I figured, like, people would pay attention to it to some extent. Um, but I didn't really expect it. I didn't really expect what happened to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, at all. Like, was it a public post? Or was it to your... Yeah, I think it was... I think all my posts are public. Me I'm too. not actually sure. <laughs> Maybe I should find out. Yeah. Well, I've kind of given up on privacy. I, yeah. I, I don't think I can protect it, so I've given Yeah, up. I'm with you. I mean, if people are like, oh, well, you can, like, set your settings and you can, like, put people into certain categories. And I'm like, that sounds like a lot more work than yeah. just assuming that anything I put on the internet will be seen by anyone who wants to see it. But yeah, so it was probably pu- it was public, and it got shared a lot, and then it started getting copied and pasted and like quoted in all these newspapers and like, you know, the New York Times and CNN and all these things, and no one ever talked to me. But they didn't. They didn't call you. No, uh, maybe one newspaper called me, but this letter was like widely reproduced, and yeah, then it turned. I noticed that. And when you brought up before that I was being like attacked by trolls, it was sort of fun. There was nothing about that that was bad. I didn't feel. I didn't feel. Seriously endangered. I mean, I could be in some other context, but in this particular context, it was like dummies on Facebook. And they make you feel really important. Like, you must be a really important person Mm -hmm. if people are going out of their way to, like, try to discredit you on the Internet. Mm -hmm. So all it did was feed my ego. That's all it did. Like, having trolls is kind of the best. And when they go away, you miss them. Mm Yeah. I mean, it's all fun and games until someone, like, threatens, you know, to kill your child or right. something. Which, none of that happened to me. So, of course, I just had a lot of fun. Right. Good. And and it it got you some attention leading into, or right at the release, of Nuts. Yeah, Nuts had premiered at Sundance, like, a couple months earlier. But, yeah, it was, like, doing some more film festivals, and, and then I released it in theaters in June. So, yeah, it was, like, fairly well-timed in mm-hmm. terms of that, which was, it was interesting, I mean, I did not have that on my mind in some sense, mm-hmm. in, the, in the sense that, it, you know, writing that letter, not, not to say like, oh, that was a promotional effort, but to say that, that writing that letter, I, I think, helped me clarify for some other people some of the goals and intentions of my own project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not exactly like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to get more press. It was more like oh, this is an opportunity for me to register a complaint that I think is important, but also articulate some things I think are important that are related to the film I just finished, spent fucking eight years on. Mm-hmm. Um, eight years. Yeah, eight, eight years. It's a nightmare. 
I probably was working on it when I met you, let me think. Uh, not just, quite. Yeah, just not after. <laughs> it seems like well, the payoff's been pretty good then for the eight years you put in. So. I guess. Well, it's, I, mean, it's, I mean, really, like, I how do you measure eight years of work and how do you decide whether it's been worth it? In terms of, A, the film is really great and I'm, I'm psyched to see it again tonight on the big screen. But in terms of for a, would you call yourself a nonfiction? I, I think of you as a creative nonfiction filmmaker more than a documentarian. Yeah, that works. I like um, that. But it's not a genre that gets much attention. And your name's been on marquees, and you've been all over the country, and you've been to a lot of festivals. Yeah. And you've gotten really good press. Yeah, it's been pretty, it's been very well received. It's been surprising. I didn't, I fully, 100% had prepared for the movie to sink without a trace. Mm -hmm. So I had prepared myself for the experience of my first film, R. Nixon, mm -hmm. had a pretty amazing response, too. And so I thought that was, that was a fluke, and then this movie would really not do anything because it's so it's kind of weird it's hard to explain mm -hmm. um it, i think even just like the log line turns some people off which i get mm -hmm. like it's an animated movie not everyone likes animation i don't like animated movies so like there's a lot of things that i can see and also because i had spent it took eight years to make because no one gave a crap about it because i couldn't get any funding so after a few years of just being like rejected for almost everything, with the exception of a few small grants and stuff like that, um, it was reasonable for me to, to think, okay, well, I guess this isn't really resonating with other people, mm -hmm. so you should prepare yourself to like make this movie that you're going to love and certain other people will love, but, but it won't be popular. Mm -hmm. That was kind of my, I think, totally rational guess based on the fact that I couldn't even get like any funding at all, mm -hmm. ever, <laughs> for like all those years. So how did you finally get it made? What, I mean, just what? like bits and pieces, like just kicking, you know, like dragging this boulder up a mountain. Um, you know, I'd work really hard and, you know, and, and get $15,000 and yeah. then I'd have, to, I'd have that and I'd spend that and make like a little progress and then back to the drawing board and like start begging for money again and then get it $20,000 yeah. and then do that chunk. You know, and some of it came through Colgate, and they don't really, like, it's not, it's not money that, <laughs> they just, like, give it to any faculty, you know, so I was lucky to have my academic job, and they were kind of pitching yeah. in, um, and then, yeah, and then we had that Kickstarter campaign in 2014 for, we tried, we, we aimed it for $78,000, and it was, like, the worst experience of my whole life, mm. it was so much worse than getting divorced. Um, it was awful. Why? It was just a month of um, public-facing, cheerful optimism and, like, crying on the kitchen floor in reality. And then having to get up and, like, splash cold water in my uh -huh. face so I could post an update video and be like, yay, like, everything's great. And I was like, everything's not great. It's yeah. awful. And then, like, you know, get on Facebook and, like, a, a, like, like, individually message people to beg for money because it just wasn't working yeah. and it just it was a failure and so we ended up what about halfway into it um you know it was gonna fail so then we had to like put fake money into it to make it go and there's a weird psychology where like i mean it makes sense but where 
if it's failing, nobody wants to be part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if nobody wants to be part of it, then it fails. Then it fails. Yeah. So then my my um, someone else involved with the project was like, we just got to put some money in, and I was really resistant to that because I thought, well, I knew people did that with crowdfunding, but I thought like losers did that. Like you know, mm-hmm. I didn't think that anyone reputable or smart mm-hmm. or good ever like had to do that. I was like only like idiots who just didn't know what they were doing, and you know. Um, and did it work? Oh yeah, in the end. Yeah, we cleared the goal, barely. It was, um, and then, but but the money that we faked was um, really almost half of it, you uh-huh. know, in the end. So, but you earned half the money. Yeah, so we still made a bunch involved. of money. <laughs> it still worked out great. I'm really thankful to the people that backed it, and like it, it was really helpful. Money, the forty grand that we got, or fifty, or whatever it was, was super helpful. And there was a few good things about it besides that, which what were like. Waking up in the morning and then and sort of sometimes I just wake up in the morning and say, I can't get out of bed until I found five thousand dollars and oh I would actually God. just think about who do I know that has money and then like pick up the phone and call them and try to say, like, hey, do you want to be an associate producer of my film? And then like not stop until someone said yes. Mm-hmm. And then when that person said yes, you know, it does feel like really Amazing. Yeah. It's not the kind of thing you normally do. At least, yeah. like you know, probably you and I, anyway. Yeah. Like, don't pick up the phone and just ask people I, for ten thousand dollars. About five years ago, I was doing it for a, a nonprofit. I I started with people, but it was more either in person or an email. And people are starting to tell me to try to use Patreon or something to fund this, and I just can't. I can't bear it. It's just kind of. <laughs> I mean, it's all like it's all a double-edged thing. Like you know, up until this one, I did two other crowdfunding, and I thought it was super fun, and I was like, oh. just nothing but a booster. Um, but those were smaller campaigns. Those were both for like fifteen thousand dollars, and it was just fun. It yeah. was like really not not easy. It was yeah. still tons of work, but it was. Um, but because it was successful and it yeah. worked, I felt great, and everyone felt great. Yeah. But this was like just this grueling. Slog. I mean, I won't. I, I won't not do crowdfunding again. But I don't think I would ever try to do it for that much. Yeah, it was too much. And then I found out later that all the films. I mean, I had done my homework. That's why I was so frustrated. I had modeled my campaign on other films that feel mm-hmm. felt like they fit, like someone who'd made one film that did okay, and there mm-hmm. was a new one, and like or or movies that were like kind of quirky but not a social issue, and like. Uh, Weird Americana or something. So I thought, okay, well, these 10 films raised around 100000 so I'm going to try for 80. And then later I found out none of those films raised $100,000. Mm-hmm. They all raised, like, half. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, I was... The amount that I raised was probably the amount that I could raise, like, no matter what. I just didn't know that. So I had, like, false information. So that feels shitty. Like, I don't like the fact that now I'm part of that. Now people think... They look at my campaign and they're like, oh, this woman made 80 grand with this weird goat balls movie. And I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> you know, and once the movie's like, yeah. I mean, I've been meaning to do this and I will do it soon. I've been meaning to sort of like write a thing about it so that I can come clean and explain yeah. it. And I've talked to Kickstarter about it and they're all for it. They pretend like they don't know this is a problem, but they do. Yeah. Because um, why not? Like, it's. It's sort of... Um, it it's was, just, yeah, teaching people to be realistic. Yeah, and it just feels fake, you know? Like, for it's confusing to me how, for how much I know that authenticity is um, imaginary. I really, really care Strive about it. For it yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I really, yeah. really care. And there was something about the experience of that campaign, of the fakery of it. Like, I wished, when it's good, when things like that feel good... 
I get this kind of like pleasure and I say like show business, mm-hmm. you know, like I kind of like there's a certain amount of like flim flam that I enjoy mm-hmm. that goes along with being an artist or, you know, entrepreneurial or whatever. Yeah. But then there's like some place where it just turns into like fakery in like a bad way and like bullshit in like a bad way. And, and for some reason that, oh, because it was failing. Right. If it had just been, if it had worked out great, I would have thought, yay, show business. But because it failed in some right. key way, it just felt fake. So here you are, probably a couple of years after that. Yeah. How, how does it feel that to have the object out there in the world? And It's satisfying. Yeah. It's relief. It's just over also because it was just sitting on my desk like this movie that was going to fail. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, just get it over with. Like, mm-hmm. let it get out there and fail, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I also, I mean, I think six, even even right before Sundance or right around Sundance, or right, probably right before that, I, I really was convinced that I had um, no ideas and I, I had no new movies to make and I probably should think about doing something else. Mm-hmm. That was the way I felt yeah. completely uh, six, eight months ago. Nine, ten months ago, probably for and, and for and because nuts took so long to make the last couple mm-hmm. years, weren't really me doing creative work. It mm-hmm. was just me begging for money to hire mm-hmm. people to do creative work. Mm-hmm. So it's not even like I was really engaging and making art, mm-hmm. and hadn't since twenty twelve. Right. Well, in terms of accolades and attention, do you feel se- separate, more separate from it what out there in the world? Do you feel like it's your baby, or do you feel like it's this thing? That sometimes people talk about when I talk to them about mm-hmm. fame, mm-hmm. about the object leaving them, and then people are, meet them and associate them with this thing they made that isn't really them. And yeah, I hadn't thought about it in those ways. I mean, one thing is that you know the ideas that animated. I love this film. I don't feel like it's separate for me yet. Probably one day I will. Maybe but it's not. been it's been recent. I think you know it's still like a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still shepherding it mm-hmm. out into the world. Yeah. You know, like our Nixon is done. Like I'm not doing anything to make people see it or write about it. But nuts, I'm still working on it. Like I'm still pitching stories to journalists and doing Q and A's and stuff. So I definitely feel connected to it still. But one of the things that's weird about it. And Jamie is that the ideas that excited me about the movie are from eight years ago. Yeah. So like there is that part right. of it that is kind of strange where I'm like, this is not actually what I spent all my time talking about in real life. Yeah. But I have to kind of re-inhabit myself from eight, six, eight years ago to kind of get into the mode of the ideas. So I interrupted, but it sounds like that once this all started rolling, you've started to have ideas again? Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's why it was so funny. I mean, I was just super depressed. Yeah. It was a bad couple years before this movie was done and I think a huge part of it was that my dread that it was going to fail that you know that it was going to suck and that that Kickstarter being so failing didn't help matters you know it just kind of felt like this like stupid movie that I backed myself into a corner with so it's been a really weird surprise the turnaround was I'm not like being falsely modest I mean I do that plenty sometimes but in this (laughs) case I'm not doing it like it really I really truly did not expect the response it's been shocking. Now I'm used to it, but at the beginning especially, I was just like... And everyone that worked in the film was the same way, because we were all like, okay, I guess nobody gets it. <laughs> and all these different animators who probably didn't quite... They didn't even know what they were doing. Did you? How many of these people did you know? Oh, none of them, personally. That's fantastic. No, personally. Such a good... 
I don't know. I knew... Such beautiful. They're all so beautiful and different. Yeah, they're interesting. They're all different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was fun, kind of, to mm-hmm. like figure all that stuff out. I want to ask you all kinds of stuff about how you found them, et cetera, et cetera. But I want there's one thing yeah. that as I think about talking to you for the past few weeks and as we watch the election, I think about that you might have a certain insight into the fact that you've got, in terms of people wanting attention and or legacy. Yeah. you got Nixon. You've got John Romulus Brinkley. Mm-hmm. And now we have someone who conceivably could be president who's, in my mind, has gotten there mostly for being famous kind of as a mediocre bad guy on TV. So famous for being famous on TV and almost could be president, which seems like a John, like a Brinkley scam. Totally. Almost. So, so what kind of, you know, their minds and, <laughs> and fame and attention, how, what do you think? Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave Nixon out of this for a second. I'll think about him in a minute. Yeah. But as far as Brinkley goes... <sighs> Was he about getting over and making money? Or did he... He seemed like he wanted to be loved. And he wanted what he said to be true. <laughs> yeah. He wanted the money, but he liked the fame, too. Maybe the fame was just... I don't know. Uh-huh. I mean, I won't even pretend to know. I I have no idea yeah. what animated him. Yeah. Animated. Animated. Because when you watch the the footage of I, him... It's so hard to know. At the end of the film. Yeah. He's very enigmatic. Mm-hmm. But he and clearly then, wants his public to see his world and his... Right. Oh, you mean that was weird, like, with his fake home movies yes. that he had someone do for him? Yeah. Yeah, no, the thing about him was that, and that's why it is so reminiscent of a Trump-like reality TV star. He was very aware that his persona and his biography were an essential part of the scam. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, it mm-hmm. wasn't just about the product. It was about John Brinkley, self-made <coughs> man... And we just love those stories. And mm-hmm. so he was savvy enough to know that people really gravitated toward that kind of person to the point where they would vote for him for an election even though he had no political experience or whatever. But I don't... But I wish I could give you an answer for the question you asked me because mm-hmm. it's a good question. Just, yeah, just, but none uh, of us really know what's, yeah. what really motivates someone else, right? Right. We but, don't even know what motivates ourselves. No. I mean, I think if anything, at the end of the day, after all this time with Brinkley and then answering all these questions after the movie's been done, even more so, um, I think I've gained a deeper appreciation for the fact that we can, as human beings, hold contradictory beliefs simultaneously. I mean, there's no. it has to be true that, that Brinkley knew he was lying and thought he was telling the truth. Like, I, can't, I think that's the only yep. way that he can make sense. And, yep. then I, and then I think, but that's crazy. And then I'm like, no, it's not. Like, I'm sure that we all have these kind of contradictory beliefs, you know? Um, I'm trying to give a good example of my own life that's not yeah. too personal. But, you know, I feel like in my love life often, uh-huh. like, I would say that there's probably moments where I realize that I've been walking around with two very firmly held beliefs about a relationship that I'm in. That when you put them side by side, they very clearly can't go together. Yeah. You know? So there's no question that we can like do that. And so I think he did that. And I think Nixon was the same way. That's the connection that I make with Nixon. It's about like whether or not you know you're lying. And I spend a lot of time trying to figure out whether or not you know you're lying or I know I'm lying. And what it means to say you're lying. 
Um, and, and it's uh, totally almost unanswerable, you know, at some point. Sometimes you know you're lying, but most of the time you lie and you don't even know that you've done it. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm sure Trump is that. He's just operating in a consciousness that seems completely bizarre to me. Yeah. And I'm sure to you. It's, but there's something no. about, like, you've met these people in your life. Like, yeah, they're, the, they're narcissists. These, I mean, it, yeah, it's the cliche of Trump the now. Yeah, but also there's business people, though, yeah. too. Like, hey, I don't know why. They're like, yeah. I, I don't know what it is about them, but they can often convince themselves they're doing you a favor. And when really actually they're screwing it. you over. And mm-hmm. you can see in their face and hear in their voice that they believe that they were doing you a favor. Mm-hmm. This has happened to me many mm-hmm. times. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. Sitting here, I, I, I thought of something that I hadn't thought of before. Mm. So do you entertain the, the award acceptance fantasy? Do I entertain this fantasy? Do you see, you know, <laughs> let's just you know, go all the way. Do you see being at the Oscars? No, Nominated I never for do a documentary? That. I never do that. And I, actually, it's to my detriment because sometimes I win awards and I'm so uh-huh. genuinely surprised that yeah. when I have to say something, it's really bad mm-hmm. and stupid and I know that I failed. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember thinking somewhere along the path of our Nixon that I should prepare to win awards because if I don't, then I'm going to just do that same stupid thing I always do, which... No one even believes you. When you go up to the microphone mm-hmm. and you say like, oh, wow, I'm so surprised. I'm right. so surprised. No one even believes you. And right. so like, even if you're expressing the truth, which is that you are surprised, it's a terrible thing to do and nobody buys it. So you have to kind of prepare something to say because it really is a moment where you don't know what to say. So anyway, I never did, though. So I still don't. I still don't. So you haven't had one. You have to have one memorable. No, right? so you, when you look, if you look at the video of me getting a an award at Sundance, it was the same fucking thing. Like I was like, prepare yourself in case mm-hmm. you win. And I what didn't. was the award? It was a jury award. So there's like a you know I was in the U.S. documentary competition, and the jury gives out um, discretionary awards. So this was a special jury award for mm-hmm. editing. Mm-hmm. That was what they came up with. Mm-hmm. Editing. I wish they'd given it a cooler name. <laughs> <laughs> but I get what they meant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sounds like technical. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like most people don't understand what, why. No, no, I absolutely know what you mean. Like for editing sounds yes. like, like it's like for sound design yes. or something. Yes. Like, you know, like you're like, you know, it's actually yes. a really important thing. Yes. Super important. But no, I never do that, Jamie. I've never, that's not a fantasy. No. The fantasies that I have. What is the fantasy? Yeah, success. No, the fantasies so. that I have a success are that like people out there in the world will will think to ask, will think to trust me with like bigger projects or will think of me as a person who can, who's capable and can like take on bigger challenges. The fantasies are like that, um, that I will get a million dollar budget for a film and total creative control because everyone just believes that I know what I'm doing and like she gotta just let her do whatever she wants to do. Like she's proven herself. Mm -hmm. Like that's the fantasy. That's the fantasy. It's probably what everyone wants. The awards and stuff are great, but they're like, they just come and then they go. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's not, it's not ever going to be the majority mm-hmm. of your life that you're like currently reading your good reviews or currently, right. you know, getting an award. Right. And that's, that's not, that's rare. That's not why one should no. make work. No, and I have something to say about that because I remember feeling that, okay, so when, when the film, when the movie opened at Film Forum, which is like this huge mm. prestigious thing. In June, I had the worst week. I mean, it was great. Like, everything was great. All the reviews were great. The New York Times critic pick, like, The New Yorker, all this stuff. It was like, couldn't really have been any better. 
I mean, the box office wasn't great, but I didn't really expect it to be. But so I remember I was in such a bad mood that week. <laughs> and like, I was just really um, anxious and, and feeling just like really hollow and sad, really sad. And I remember that I felt the same way at Sundance when, when it was a similar thing where it was like, this is it, this is the thing. And it's because to the, I, I think the reason the diagnosis I came up with for this was that it's that moment that other people think is the thing. Like everyone else, you know, if you say like, hello, I got into Sundance on Facebook to mm-hmm. go back to Facebook for a second, you're going to get like 500 likes in like yeah. 10 minutes, right? Yeah. And, but that's not really the thing. Like the, the real success was like getting the movie done mm-hmm. or like figuring out a major problem and solving it. It's all kind of like this much more inchoate, like private, inward facing process that's the thing it's like the reason I do what I do but then it looks to other people like the reason is mm-hmm. the critical response or the reason is like the film forum premiere and it's not and so I think there's this again it's that sense of falseness where like everyone else thinks that you're happy that's a great and useful perspective especially for me right now because I'm just starting this and I really love it and I'm learning to edit and I'm loving it. I've never liked writing or editing my words as much as I like writing and editing yeah. these, especially actually the Skype ones because you can edit so much more because it's two tracks. Yeah. And you can clean every little... And oh, you love it. editing. I love editing. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. And I'm very ADD. I do too. But I zoom in and focus and then four hours are gone. And I have to remember that instead of trying to figure out how many people are listening. Well, you have to do both. Yeah. But the reason you have to do the second one is so that you can keep doing right. the first yeah. one. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, not because of the second one. Yeah. Because if that's what you wanted, like, there's just better ways to yeah. make money or whatever, you know? Yeah. Or whatever it is that people think they associate with more clicks. Yeah. I guess it's make money. No, but I think it's true. Like, it's just the, the second thing... The, the response to the work is so great and it's super gratifying and you're grateful for it, but you also can't live for that because it won't always come. Because mm-hmm. I could have been right. Yeah. Nuts could have sunk without a trace. I could have premiered it somewhere, you know, at like a decent yeah. regional festival and yeah. gotten a few good reviews and then had it go away, which would have been okay too, in yeah. a way. Yeah. Um, but you can't always, you can't count on it. Yeah, you can't count on the accolades, and the money will come and not come. Yes. You know, I, my friend Lodge, Lodge Kerrigan. I remember meeting you him know, at an event you did oh, at yeah. the bookstore a long oh, time ago. I forgot about that. Yeah. You know, Lodge has two films in the Criterion Collection, gave up making features because he just couldn't bear to raise money anymore. And now he's wound his way back to, now he's, he's running a show, and he's... He's, he's a show owner now. He's he's risen back up and has some creative control over his next project. Right. You know, over a 15, 20 year period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to make the work for the work. Um, you don't seem like someone who has what so many of us has, and that is a bad case of the imposter. If you oh, get the million dollars, somebody serious? gives you the, the million dollars. No, no, no. Yeah. I think I'm just graduating like imposter school okay. <laughs> you know like no I mean I definitely felt like that for most of right. my life for sure so if you get the big budget do you think you'll have a few weeks of slipping right back oh more than yeah. a few you know yeah I, oh, it's just like you're just catching me at like a yeah. optimistic moment yeah. I mean yeah. you know again like a year ago I was like I'm terrible at this and I should do something else you and, always I, can't, seem like and I can't take it anymore and like mm-hmm. you know I can't yeah, I got to do something different. Um, no, I'm, I'm very competent. I've always been very competent and confident, but it doesn't mean that, like, 
I don't spend a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I guess like I'm just, so I'm 38 years old now, and I'm just really honest to God, like just starting to feel like I deserve the life that I have. And it's just starting to have, like it's not like that's a done deal and like now I can check that off the list. I'm gonna have to keep an eye on it, I'm sure. Cause all that stuff will come back. Like I just negotiate, I'm trying to negotiate a new um, arrangement with my employer, with Colgate. And um, it was really hard to imagine doing it and now I'm doing it and it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely just, I mean, I, I think the assumption that I always have when I ask for something is that whoever it is I'm asking for, whatever I'm asking for, will respond with kind of a, and I don't even know where this fear comes from. Who do you think you are? Yeah. Like, that's like exactly what it is. And I don't even understand, like no one's ever done that to me, so I'm not sure like where this fear comes from, but it's never happened. And so the more yeah. times you do that behavioral experiment where you think something terrible is going to happen and then you do the thing and nothing terrible happens, the more you start to kind of learn it. I mean, you know, like at some point, you got to kind of get over it yeah. because I mean, I spent, I wasted six months really being scared as hell to like ask my employer whether I could change my teaching load due to my inordinate success as a filmmaker, yeah. which like is a totally reasonable, yeah. they were all expecting me to do it and wondered why it took so long conversation. It doesn't mean you get what you want, but like no one was angry right. that I brought and- it up. So we'll see, because right now I'm feeling super like I have this ability. Like right now I'm saying, okay, my um, I have this new film working on, and I, it's a million dollar film, and that's still like considered a micro budget, by the mm-hmm. way. But you know, uh, film is weird. So my last two films, to give perspective, both cost around like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So it's a big change, mm-hmm. um, and you can't really make the movies I'm making with that much money. That was like a struggle. Mm-hmm. They took longer than they needed to, for example, and weren't as good as they could be. And so at this point, I'm sort of like, just kind of um, started to feel like, I guess here's the thing. I now feel m- like I trust myself more because both of my features, I expected nothing. I really did. And it, I just, I sort of was very focused on, you know, making the work that I wanted to make. And, and I didn't ask for very much because I didn't expect very much of myself or of the films, which is fine. And the films are great. It's fine. But I'm not, I don't feel like that's the way I feel. I don't feel like that's the way I should proceed. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think I should keep being like, well, I don't know. I'm just going to do this thing over here and I'm sure no one cares about it. So I won't try. Yeah. You know, to to get a bigger budget or to you know attach a a, a right. celebrity or I don't know what you know what the things would be, but you know the things that would make a larger, bigger stage yeah. possible. And as often as not, as you described, people with the money aren't going to offer. They're waiting for you to step up and yeah. show that you're the professional. Yeah, they're weirdly by not asking like, <laughs> for the money. <laughs> they're weirdly not like sitting at home yeah. waiting for someone, you know, yeah. just picking a name out of a hat yeah. and then just saying yeah. like call Penny and yeah. give her the budget for yeah. the movie that we don't know she's making. Yeah. Or your dean isn't going to try to give away right. money. Yeah. You know, or or flexible. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, totally. So I think that's the thing. So if I feel like I trust myself then like then maybe 
like now it's appropriate for me to see if other people will trust me with their with their money because that's yeah. what we're talking about here we're yeah. just talking about people with money and do they trust you with it mm-hmm. you know will they give you an advance for your book or will yeah. they pay for your movie or whatever and you know they have reasons to worry about who they give their money to and mm-hmm. so you have to kind of decide whether if you, if you don't trust yourself then like you definitely shouldn't ask them for their money <laughs> and if you don't trust yourself they don't have reason to trust you yeah yeah it's a big circle are you, do you have are you able to say at all what okay yeah psychologically or because no not psychologically yeah. all i want to do is talk about it because that's okay. all I, you know it's all i think about but um cool. And I can tell you off off mic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. And I probably will later because I should. I still shouldn't be talking about it, but it, it's really hard. Like yeah, of my course. producer keeps saying, like Penny, don't talk about it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but it's like all I'm doing. It's like all I think about. People are like, what are you up to? Am I gonna say nothing? And like gonna no one's gonna and, believe me yeah. if I'm like nothing. <laughs> I'm not up to anything. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, don't mind like me. Penny's lying. Yeah. She's always up to something. But no, I, the good thing is that um, I also got two commissions this year. So I have two short films that I've been commissioned to make by people. So that means I'm being actually paid to make movies. Cool. So that's exciting. And then I'm starting a new feature, and I want to see if I can get paid to make that too, mm-hmm. which would be a new experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. I, I had one thought when you were being trolled, whatever, stalked on the Internet earlier this year, and that is that in an odd way, well, how are we for time? We're good. I have 10 minutes. In an odd way, you're hard to find. Which leads me to say, in terms of fame, Penelope Jean Lane. Is that what it was? Is that your whole name? It's just Penny. I always thought you... Did you ever joke about... I'm sure I told you that I wished it was Penelope. Okay. And even when I knew you, when I first met you, I probably was still trying to think about whether I could become Penelope. Because I thought that was a really pretty name. (laughs) And you were born after the song. Oh, Yeah. So you were you named after the song? Yeah. And how has that been for the last thirty <laughs> whatever years? Because I literally you try to search you have to do Penny That's Lane Nuts exclamation point yeah, yeah, to yeah, find yeah, the yeah, film yeah, even. Yeah, yeah. Uh I think it's good. I mean I, I people remember my name, which is nice. Mm-hmm. When I meet somebody and I meet them a second time and they don't remember me, I'm like, oh, you did that on purpose. <laughs> it's like, right. like you worked yeah, hard yeah, yeah. to not remember yeah, the really loud <laughs> yeah. woman you yeah. met that like yeah. talked more than anyone yeah. whose name was Penny Lane. Like you worked at that. If you genuinely don't know my name, you tried. So that's nice. But um, it makes me feel like I have like an advantage mm-hmm. over other people in that way because people don't often yeah. say like, oh, what's your name again? Which probably would annoy me. <laughs> like if, if people were constantly forgetting my name, mm-hmm. I'd probably feel really like yeah. a little smaller yeah. or something. Yeah, just being a man named Jamie. Yeah. But I think of it as a disadvantage because I always feel so horribly guilty because I'm terrible with names. Oh, I am too. Uh, and of course, everyone remembers I'm your name. Terrible at names, mm-hmm. and yes, yeah, so that is it's a, kind of a drag name. It's kind of You're a drag like, name. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, it sounds like yeah. a fake artist name. Yeah. So the problem with the, that's that's the other side. So the good news is people don't remember my name. Fine. I have no particular aesthetic love for it. It's not a beautiful and it's fine. It's not even a good song. Whatever. But the bad side is that I know for a fact that I walk around in the world and almost everyone I meet thinks almost, I'm going to assume almost everyone I meet thinks that I picked this name and that I was born like Jane Smith and decided I was going to be an artist and then 
decided along with that that my artist name would be Penny Lynn. And it's just like so misrepresentative of who I am right. as a person. Because it isn't even a song that represents No, I don't even like that you. song. I don't yeah. really care about the Beatles. And like Penny Lane is kind of a stupid name. Like it's so mm-hmm. fine, but it's not like, it's not cool. No, it's so a very then, nice, so then, it's, so it's think, a lovely but name. But then people <laughs> think that I think I'm cool. Like they, you know, right. It's just like a total, like, whole series of assumptions people are making in advance of me, which is why I actually put it in my bio so that when people introduce me at events, there's a line in my bio that says, yes, this yes. is my real name, to, to avoid the conversation, but more, because most people don't even ask. They just assume it's my yeah. fake name, and then, then yeah. you, they, they, they leave, and I never and even there, corrected there are them. Like fake quotation marks in the introduction. Yeah. Penny Lane yeah, yeah, yeah. is a, is a so film So I just, like put my, just put it in the bio, which really helps. Good. And it's my website is Penny Lane is my real name. Yeah. I, I dot com, which is another way of trying to I like that a lot. establish to people that I didn't, that like maybe there's some things about me that are pretentious and stupid, but it's not <laughs> that. <laughs> like it's, that's not my fault. That was my mom's call. Are your parents alive? Um, I don't know. My dad, I think he's alive. Mm-hmm. I found him on Facebook once. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom, I haven't talked to you in a long time, mm-hmm. but she's also alive mm-hmm. somewhere in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So there hear. isn't the parents seeing the work? No. Oh, no. That, no, yeah. my family couldn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't, I don't really have parents, but then mm-hmm. also I have some other family members, and they're very nice, and I think we all love each other, but they don't really care mm-hmm. I guess it's a kind of a good last so is there a dream who's your dream audience member to, to, to see and, and and like your work oh wow in terms of being seen I think it, I think I'm a filmmaker who thinks that writers are superior to filmmakers mm-hmm. so I tend to um, think about like literary people you know so this isn't an answer I'll get to your question but when oh. I got a um, a note in the mail from Philip Roth about R. Nixon. No way. Yeah, it's framed on my wall. <laughs> like, so that's pretty great, I think, because I've been reading his books my whole life. Wow. Um, but yeah, I had forgotten because someone said, oh, can you get me a DVD? Someone who knows Philip Roth, he said he wants to see it. And I completely forgot that I'd given someone who said they were giving a disc to someone else mm-hmm. who said that they were going to watch it with Philip Roth. So that happened. And then I lived in this apartment in Brooklyn for a while. I moved out. And six months later, the woman who lived there then said, called me and said, you know, there's a note shoved all the way at the bottom of the mailbox that's been there since January and it's waterlogged because it's been raining on it and stuff. And she was like, it's from Philip Roth. And I was wow. like, so think about this. I almost never got that, which blows my mind because the mailbox was really deep and I'm really short. And so I couldn't actually yeah. get my hand to yeah. the bottom of it. So that was sitting there like just lost for six months. And then only because the person who moved in knows me and mm-hmm. like had my phone number. That's really lucky. Did I ever get that? So I have this the, beautiful yeah. like handwritten note from Philip Roth, but it's like all stained and like there's like rain all over. Which is it. even better. I know. <laughs> and that is not one you want to miss. No. Anyway, that's not an answer to your question. But I do sort of think about writers and like I t- tend to think about um I don't know. Like I want like Laura, I want like Lydia Davis to like my work. Yes. You know, and I want like and then and even more so I think like some nonfiction writers. Like I want like John Degata to like love my work. Mm-hmm. Or um 
or who's like another, um, John Jeremiah Sullivan. I want him to love my work. Like there's these kind of um, creative nonfiction writers that mm -hmm. I admire so much. Oh, do you know who Lauren Slater is? She wrote a biography mm -hmm. of her memoir, Lying. Mm -hmm. I want Lauren Slater to like my work. Like I feel like I think about these writer people, which is fun because when I go to artist residencies, I'm like the biggest dork about it because there's usually writers that I've heard of there and I get really excited about mm -hmm. it. Um, but yeah, I think about that. And then as far as filmmakers go, I probably want Errol Morris to like my films, sure. but I don't think he will, so I have to give up on it. <laughs> like, it's just like, I don't think he'll like them, so I'm not sure, but uh, I have to let go of that one. Well, let's go watch you present it again. Are you, um, here, let me do the official. Thanks, Penny. Thanks, this was really fun. It really was. <laughs> and it's nice to see you. As I mentioned earlier, you can look for Nuts on iTunes just a few days from now. September 6th, 2016 is the release. And you can find more at PennyLaneIsMyRealName.com. I don't think I need to spell that for you. Or at NutsTheFilm.com. Or at OurNixon.com. And hey, if you like documentaries, but you aren't so crazy about animation, although you should really see nuts. Our Nixon is filled with amazing footage of Tricky Dick and the gang from the 70s. I could watch six volumes of Our Nixon. You can find us, as ever, at 15minutesjamieberger.com or by looking for us on Facebook or on Instagram and Twitter at at 15 mins at 15MINs, Jamie B. Same request as always, and it's still wicked important. Please rate and or review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is 15 Minutes. I'm Jamie Berger.